we're going to talk about our betting success. Last week, I had another good week. We're back on the winning track. I'm talk about your betting success, not mine. Fair enough. But I will. I'm going to step into it. For my betting trials are over. We're talking real money now. I'm going to. I'm going to place some. I'm going to place some uh, wagers uh, today. I like so it. So let's start. Let's reset me at zero, and we'll pl- I'm playing with with real. I'm in. I'm in, Nick. I, I like Real it. coinage. First of all, you did have, uh, I think you had a parlay. Well, I, I said if it? someone put a gun in my head, I would have done the parlay. It was really just to, you know, fill up the second. But fair enough. <laughs> you should really give people a heads up before they place their money. I did. I said that. Yeah, fair enough. I said if I really had to do well, it. Well, to fill the second part. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah I had it's for our For our advertisers, they, need, they have required amount of time. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, by the way, sponsorships. Feel free. Brought to you by Nabisco. So we we are you giving Nabisco a free plug, and we're not even getting a cookie out of this, Nick? Come How do you on. know I'm not getting cookies out of this? Are you getting cookies out of this, and I'm not getting a piece? You're, you're training, man. You don't need the cookies. This is bullshit, man. This is bullshit. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive here with my friend, Nick Braccia. Nick, how are you doing this week, buddy? Well, how do you think Stanny beat me again for, I think, the fourth week in a row? I went 9-2. and two. I still lost. I can move to Vegas with that kind of picking ability. And yet, my decision to go with Felicia Spencer over Chris Cyborg cost me the tie and the ability, the opportunity to shift the tide in our ongoing war. Or that I was handily winning until about a month ago. And since then, you've been thumping me like a heavy bag. I love that I've gotten you to a point where your goal and your objective is to just get away with a tie, Nick. I don't think about anything else. It's, it's, it's kind of like I'm Israel Adesanya. I'm standing in front of you and you're, and you're basically like a, like a mediocre wrestler who doesn't have very good stand-up. And, and I'm just kind of flinching that jab. And you're just happy to get away from it. You're not even trying to beat me anymore, Nick. You're just trying to survive. Are you trying to call me Brad Tavares or Derek Brunson? Uh, Derek like Brunson. Okay. Derek Brunson. I wanted you to be really specific. I, I like Brad Tavares a lot Thanks. more than Derek Brunson, and Derek Brunson has more of that style that I just described. Um, but I love that your goal now, Nick, is to get a draw with me. I well, think. if you beat me again this week, I have to drop down a weight class. <laughs> well, does, it, does that mean you're replacing me? Am I no longer uh, co-hosting this podcast <laughs> with you? <laughs> So we're, we're going to talk about UFC on ESPN5, which is coming up this weekend. Uh, Colby Covington is putting up his, I don't know, if you, interim title, number one contendership on the line, whatever else he has left in that welterweight division, up against Robbie Lawler, who's coming back here and trying to get his career reworked for a fifth or sixth time. A smart fight. A smart fight for them to book for ESPN. It's amazing it's only their fifth card. I guess it's because there's so much on ESPN+. Plus. They're probably up to 78 or 79 on there that um, it seems like they should have had, should have more shows on a, on the worldwide leader. But this is smart booking in that you've got the UFC fighter who more people, I think, than any other, more fans in general want to see Colby Covington get his face punched in. And Robbie Lawler is arguably a mixed martial artist's greatest face puncher in her. He ask, is ask Roy McDonald. <laughs> he, he is he is a darn good face puncher. Unfortunately, I think fans are going to go home pretty disappointed. I think there's I think there's a good uh, a good chance of that. But we've got a lot to. God, I hope that doesn't happen. There's uh, still we've got to catch up on uh, the recent UFC, UFC 240. Yeah, 240, which was a light card. After that, Zabit Ortega fight did not materialize. 
we were left with a very um, a I'm bare gonna, bones card. I'm going to go as far as to call it a UFC on versus card. Well, <laughs> I, I, to be fair, I do think Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar, yeah. despite the fact that Frankie may or may not have deserved the title shot, was still about worth a, seeing. It would, yeah, I think it would, should have been. A, it could have been a co-main event on a on a card with a uh, a, a more a, a, a championship contest where the outcome was more in doubt. I'm the biggest Frank Yeager fan in the world, and as I, as I explained last week, um, it was pretty obvious to anyone who's been following the sport how this was going to unfold. And it, it hap- I'm, not, I'm not the amazing Kreskin for, uh, for predicting the way that it would play out. I think anyone with any sort of IQ about mixed martial arts uh, would have seen that Holloway's distance, Holloway's volume, Holloway's uh, uh, wrestling defense, his ability to, to sprawl, um, it was going to make uh, really really limit Frankie's paths um, to victory. You know, and he hit he hit Max with some solid hooks and some solid shots, but he didn't. You know, Holloway didn't fall down the way Chad Mendez did. No, he he certainly didn't, and. The thing is, Frankie Edgar, if he had a shot against Max Holloway in his prime, it was going to be last Saturday night. It was going to be after Max Holloway is only about three months removed from that war yes. with Dustin Poirier. Uh, it was going to be when Max Holloway is you know, coming off of a loss. This is extremely rare, right, where you get to fight the champion for his title after he is coming off the loss. And Frankie Edgar couldn't quite do it. He, You're right. I think the size uh, discrepancy was a big issue here. The fact of the matter is that Max Holloway is not only busier overall, not only does he hit harder, which, which let's face it, Frankie's not the hardest hitter, and Max Max isn't necessarily either, but in this case, Max had more power. That's not usually the case in most of the style matchups. I don't know if you've noticed, Max usually fights guys that hit harder than he does, so he had even less to worry about here on paper, because Max is pretty hittable, but it's harder when you don't have the power and you don't necessarily have the reach um, Max did his thing. I mean, he essentially. Uh, I thought that first round was fairly, uh, fairly meek. They, you know, I, gave it to, I gave the first the first round to Edgar. I did as well. And that's uh, he, the was, only he was one. pushing the pace, octagon control. I thought he landed more. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and it was by a slight margin. It's because Max didn't quite turn it on yet. And once he started to turn it on in that second round, I thought that he took every round by a bigger margin than the last. Now I, I know that Joe Rogan started just talking quite about Frankie possibly taking that third or fourth round because Frankie got a late takedown and maybe landed two or three shots, but he was getting beat up that whole round. Well, um, the, the problem that I saw for Frankie was, was the usual one. He can, he can be winning uh, through great footwork, throwing strikes, head movement, landing, essentially you know, point boxing if he's, not getting his, if he's not able to land takedowns. He can win two and a half minutes of a round, and then for 30 seconds take a series of punches or a combo that bloody up his face, knock him across the cage, and it's just the optics are real bad. Yeah, that's where that that's, reach that's of power co- That's cost him. That cost him against Benson Henderson. Uh, when everyone watching the fight, I don't clearly thought that he won the second Ben Henderson fight. I think that and was the first. Was, the first was cl- that was a bad decision. But the first was also close. But when uh, you know when he gets when he gets hit, everyone in the everyone watching feels it. Yeah, you're right, and a lot of it is because so many of us are rooting for him. It's funny how many other fighters talk about Frankie as their favorite fighter. He's one of my favorite fighters. He's your favorite fighter. He's a lot of guys' favorites, and it's for good reason. He's had a storied career. 
Uh, I honestly expected him to retire at the end of this fight, but he actually... I was hoping he would. Yeah, I wouldn't have necessarily minded. Look, he, he's not exactly getting beat up by the absolute best featherweight on the planet, right? He got handled, but he didn't get roughed up it, like BJ Penn is getting roughed up by meddling competition. I think if he wants to keep competing and making his two or three hundred brand of fight, he can do it. He can he can feed his family and hopefully set up retirement. Look, it would be great if he cut down to one thirty five finally. See, I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think so. I think I think the guys are. I think there's some killers down there, and I think they're faster than him. You're right. I also about think that. I also think that the game has. Uh, I think the game's evolved a little bit. He's. He felt predictable, and when he couldn't get that knee tap, it's just like, what you know, where what was it? What's his? Where's his secret sauce? Like well, I didn't know. Like I mean, you, you want to see a secret sauce? You watch him fight anybody but Max Holloway and Jose Aldo. Like it's not like he's losing to shitty fighters here. He's losing to the best of the very, very best. And again, he's not getting yeah. finished. Uh, Brian Ortega did catch him, but but he's not getting finished here, right? The, the people that are beating him are just out hustling him and, and, and they're, they've got more athleticism than him. They're bigger guys than he is. I agree with you that at 135, he would be a slower guy in a lot of those matchups, but I don't think by much. And I think his power would be a lot more pronounced there. So look, it, it would give him a little bit of life. He could easily fight guys like John Dotson, Jimmy Rivera at this point in his career, Cody Garbrandt at this point in his career. Dominic Cruz, how great of a matchup would that be? Yeah. Um, there's, I think there's a Rafael Sunsau, not a very dangerous fight for him. But an interesting one. I want to see him fight him against Dominic Cruz. Sounds like a lot of fun. Same here. Yeah, I just feel like there's more fresh matchups for him there. I'm not saying that he's going to go out and, and, and fight Marlon Moraes or Henry Cejudo. And he probably well, should. He's certainly he not going to fight Marlon Moraes. Uh, no, not. No, oh, yeah, certainly. You're right. They're, they are training partners. But, uh, but but again, he this would bring breathe new life uh, into his career, give him a few more fights and, uh, and, and some interesting matchups for him to go into. And... Quite frankly, he could fight Henry Cejudo and get his final big fight out of the way. He's probably going to lose. Yeah, that fight. I mean, listen, he's still. I mean, it's still. That's a fav, That's a Uriah Faber number of title shots, probably. Yeah, but the Faber still I'm, going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uriah Faber was never the best in the world. I know that he was considered the best in the world back when WEC had, you know, was was not owned by the UFC back when the WEC had just like a handful of decent fighters in the division. As soon as as soon as the division got figured out, the UFC took ownership of it and brought in all the best fighters. Uriah Faber was never the best guy again. Right. Uriah Faber is not Frankie. Yet. To me, he's not. Well, he's he never that good. Frankie clean. Frankie swept him. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think Uriah was ever the best. I think Uriah was always like a like a like a top six, top five. Very level exciting. Guy. Yeah. Absolutely. But Frankie Edgar was the best at a weight division up, and he can go another weight division down. And there, he could actually be on par with some of those guys in size. It could be. You've, you've talked me into it. Fair I just don't want, want to see the guy get knocked out or get brain dead. Same here. Yeah, let, let's maybe keep him away from the killers. I agree with you there. Um, otherwise, we've got a LaFleche Spencer with a very uh, speed. You know, Rogan talked her up too much, but Cyborg Striking looked crisp. She had great poise, and she handled everything Spencer brought to her. And Spencer did look discombobulated. And to some extent, kind of like helpless at points, but she always uh, recalibrated, and she's very strong. She took everything that Cyborg dished out, and I'm not convinced that she, that uh, Felicia Spencer isn't going to be a champion in two or three years because she took everything and kept coming and never stopped trying to win and landed some big shots. Uh, her tools and technique. Um, just weren't entirely there, and once once Cyborg um, got comfortable w- 
was confident she wasn't going to end up on her back and let go with her Muay Thai, you know, she, she pieced her up. But it's a, spir- a spirited defeat. Some people said it was a dominant victory for Cyborg. Eh. Third round was a dominant round. Um, the first round was very interesting and, and close. And the second round, Cyborg comfortably won. I thought it was an exciting fight. And for the first two rounds, I felt like Spencer was in it. Yeah, look, Spencer's got the mind to be a champion. She's got the, the willpower. She's got a lot of these intangibles that most of Cyborg's opponents do Her eighth have. fight, by the way. Her yeah, eighth, her eighth fight, fight of her career. And Cyborg, Cyborg. Cyborg uh, was going into her, what, 24th, 25th fight? Come on. Uh, it's it. Look, I, I picked Cyborg, but I picked her by decision because I knew that Spencer was at the very least tough enough. I thought that Spencer had a chance at winning a round uh, by pressing her up against the cage by getting that takedown. I think in the third round, she was close to getting a takedown, but she had taken too much damage by that point. was a little bit tired. Um, look, Felicia Spencer has potential. She's, as you said, only uh, in her eighth fight of her career, if that was. So she's got a bright future. Cyborg is probably moving on, man. I, I, I'm not yeah. sure. It seems like Dana White is well, doing this thing where he, he says to the media, she doesn't want to fight Amanda Nunes. And the reason he says that is because she refuses to accept a shitty deal. Well, to today she wore a T-shirt that said Cyborg Nunes 2, January 2020. Right, but she still wants to make money. Dana seems to think that like that fight is so important to her that he should just pay her less than she deserves. Um, like He tries this stuff on everybody, right? He declares them retired, declares that they don't want to fight somebody, that they're scared to fight somebody. This is part of his negotiating point. Chris Cyborg is not afraid to... I don't think she's afraid to fight Amanda Nunes. I'd give Amanda the edge in that fight easily. I don't think she's afraid to yeah. fight Amanda Nunes, but I do think... Scott Cooper's going to treat her well. He's going to he's going to speak very positively of her. He's going to make her a very very good offer, and she's going to bring some eyes and some ratings to Bellator. Uh, Dana White, if he doesn't see the value in her, like he didn't see the value in Nate Diaz at some point, he's going to lose another really really popular high level fighter, and kind of cripple a weight class. I mean, there's just Agreed. not a lot. In that, that weight class is basically done, and Felicia Spencer needs to figure out a way to cut down to 135. Yeah, I'll tell case. you, I don't think that's going to happen. But you might be right. She's not a small girl. I don't know if I want to see it. I like Felicia Spencer at 145. I mean, look, does Felicia Spencer, much like somebody like Fedor back in the day, does she have a lot of body fat to lose to actually make 135? Yeah, absolutely. There's a chance she can make 125. But, and by the way, I realize that she had her, her, her own specific body type with her yeah. genetics. I get that. But it is it is doable if she needs to. I think Megan Anderson's fucked, but to be honest, she's not very good to begin with. Who cares? Um, Joff Neal, Nico Price, super exciting fight. Joff yeah, it Neal. was exciting. Uh, Dude, you, know, you know what you're, uh, you know what you're getting with Nico Price, man. He's um, and Jeff Neal did a terrific job. I thought uh, it's uh, it's not easy to keep your poise when you've got a guy like like Nico Price. <laughs> Yeah. Like throwing everything at you and coming at you. And, and the uh, same thing the other way. Very difficult to be standing yeah. in front of Joff Neal, who's got an extremely fast left hand that nobody seems yeah. to see coming. Very hard to stand in front of that yeah. guy. The fight, I mean, I don't know if it got fight of the night, but it sure felt like the fight of the night. Joff Neal got a bonus. Yeah, it was, I thought it was great. Um, and I'm excited to see both these guys again. I can't say that for most of the rest of the card, though. Um, uh, Armand Saryukan wasn't the most exciting fight against fine. OAM. But again, this is a guy in his second UFC bout ever. And yeah. he just beat uh, an entrenched UFC veteran who's been in the top ten quite a few, t- uh, you know. For, for um, yeah, an underachieving. Yes, to be honest, agreed. Based on his camp and his ability. And by the way, he looked the best he's looked in a while in this matchup. And yeah. apparently, he's been training with GSP in his private gym leading up to this, which which is probably saying something. Um, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Sir Yukon fight. Maybe not a grappler for once. Right. Uh, maybe somebody that he can hand, uh, handle in the grappling department might pose different challenges. 
Uh, Christoph Jotko picked up a decision boring, yeah, victory. Boring safe decision. Agreed. Uh, Viviana like Rujo looked spectacular. Yeah, Alexis Davis started out okay, but um, I think that, that fight went the way that we both predicted. Um, Hakeem Duadu. Uh, du- uh, he won by a like, sick head kick, right? It was. After Hori looked really good in that first round, which is yeah. why I recommended putting uh, down 10 bucks on Hori at uh, something like plus 335. Um, he looked really good in that first round. It looked like Duadu was going to have a lot of trouble, but he expended so much energy. Hori did, that Duwadu was able to press and, and take over in the second half of the fight and land a beautiful knee to a head kick, uh, ended the night early for Hori. Any other any other fights from, from 240 you want to talk about? Yeah, Davidson Figueredo picking up that exciting, exciting win over Alexander Pantoja. This is one of the ones that you and I differed on. And uh, yeah, I figured Davidson, that? I figured Davidson Figueredo. I just saw some of his older tape. His energy level was very different in the bouts prior uh, to his first loss. Uh, and uh, to Husea Formiga. And just because Husea Formiga trains with Pantoja doesn't mean that Pantoja had the same skill. I didn't think his wrestling was going to be as tight. I didn't think his striking was going to be as good either. And, uh, and that came through. I figured it looked fantastic. I look forward to seeing him fight some of the top guys. Maybe a Joe Benavidez next would be awesome, man. Uh, Jillian Robinson. Benavidez is getting Cejudo next. If he, if he, oh, is he? Excellent. Yeah. I look forward to that. That'll be a great matchup. Yeah, Joe um, was thrilled. He said, I didn't have to, even have to say anything stupid to get the title. Uh, yeah, that's very rare. True. Uh, Robertson picked up a, a TKO, and yeah, Eric Haas picked up his yeah. first win in a few years, so, so that worked out. That's that's a pick that you had over me, by the way, in this event. I ended up going 10-1 and on this one. You were 9-2, and two, so pretty darn solid on both ends. We are going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about UFC on ESPN5, Covington versus Lawler. Back to discuss UFC on ESPN five Covington versus Lawler Nick. Not an awesome card, but at least no, at not. least they're not asking us to fork over, fork over sixty bucks for this one. So I will take it on free TV on ESPN here. Uh, Kobe Covington Nick going up against Robbie Lawler, uh, two guys that have been entrenched in the division for a long time. Covington now uh, having won the interim title just a couple of bouts ago, they somehow convinced him to come in and fight Rafael Dos Anjos, and he did, and he beat him. And now he's going up against Robbie Lawler after, I think, a, a year and two-month hiatus. Robbie Lawler, a former champion, used to train, actually, with Colby Covington. He's lost to Ben Askren, and a lot of people don't consider that to be a real loss. He lost to Rafael Dos Anjos before that in a Donald Cerrone victory prior to that one. What are your thoughts on this matchup, Nick? It's one of those fights where you've got to be really careful about your, uh, your, head, your, your head versus your heart. Every fight fan in the world wants Robbie Lawler to punch a hole in Colby Covington. Colby Covington's gross. Uh, he panders. He, he's found a way to do the Chael Sonnen thing while being infinitely, at least to me, more aggravating than Chael Sonnen. Um, I felt like with Chael, it was just more obviously a put-on and, uh, and him kind of like doing the pro wrestling shtick. Colby's managed to convince me that he actually is a, a piece of shit. I guess a lot of people think it's the same thing about Chael, but I, Chael's persona on his YouTube channel and Ariel and the bad guy is much different than his... his much channel. more likable, for sure. Yeah. Um, Chael's better at it, period. Yeah, Chael's better at it. And, and, I just, and I also don't like watching Colby Covington fight. I don't think he's a very good striker. I, don't, I think it's, 
he's good at takedowns and he's good at top control, but I don't. Uh, yeah, and he's good up against the cage, um, but he's not. You know, he's not. A, he's not like a, a power specimen to me, like Usman is. Where it, it, like uh, I just I don't really enjoy watching him fight. It's just kind of frustrating. Same. Watching Colby Covington fight is like being on the toilet and not being able to get it out. I think it's um, a pretty good analogy. And but the problem with Robbie Lawler, who I do think probably was on the secret sauce during his resurgence. Interesting. I never thought of I don't, that. It's I mean, Covington Covington's accusing him of it. Um, but he, you know, he well, looked really great. He looked really great against. Well, ATT has kind of a rep too, I think. Yeah, that'd but be right. um, he looked great against Askren for for thirty seconds. He looked like a total killer. Uh, I thought I thought he did not look like a killer at any point in that fight. He just like Askren held on to him for a little while. And the referee yeah. stopped the fight essentially, right? Um, it's. He damn near killed him at some point earlier. Yeah, that the, round. the question is: Robbie Lawler going to be able to do to Colby Covington what Jorge Masvidal did to Ben Askren, um, or if he if uh, I mean the problem is that if Covington can hold Robbie down for two and a half rounds or three rounds, does Robbie lose does Robbie lose enough thunder from the exhaustion to make even even if Covington tires and starts getting touched up um, for those shots to do? I don't know that Robbie. I don't know that Robbie is necessarily. So spent that he can't throw late. If anything, he he picks up his pace late in fights. No, he does in fights, but does he do that if someone's been on top of him for fifteen minutes? Well, I feel like no matter what, in that yeah. in that fourth and fifth round, he's trying. Even against Dos Anjos, where he was pressured the whole time, he's he, like he was still trying late, even though he was exhausted and injured, if I remember correctly. So yeah, yeah I, I do see what you're saying. Though. He's not a young guy, right? I see. I mean, I, I see this this being a frustrating fight where we all want Robbie Lillard to get up. Blast this guy and it, him just running out of time before he can land the shot. Um, I can see it definitely. I hate to pick Covington. I hope I'm wrong, but my MMA brain says that his uh, his wrestling is going to be good. I mean, there's a chance that he goes for a single leg and Robbie just fists him into oblivion. I hope so. Like it's possible. I just think it's more likely that Covington like wrestle fucks him. Yeah, I, I I think that's probably not that Robbie's a bad wrestler, mind you. He's not. You know, no. he stayed on he stayed on his feet plenty against Johnny Hendricks. It's just Covington seems to be uh, one of the you know one of these next level uh, next level grapplers. I agree. Yeah, it looks like Lawler. I do think Usman will will will, uh, will flip Covington on his head. I do not think that that Covington's going to be able to out wrestle him. I think that's probably likely. Um, just based on their uh, their. Performances against the same fighters. It does seem like Usman is stronger, uh, more physically imposing, more explosive. It's going to be a very boring fight. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect that to be exciting. Neither guy is known for very exciting bouts. But in the meantime, we have a Robbie Lawler Covington fight, which probably has a has a forty percent chance of being exciting, at least a point, because Robbie Lawler yes. is involved. Yes. Um, so the thing is that Robbie Lawler's takedown defense really is solid at sixty nine percent. Right. That's it's very good. Yeah. Um, He's just this is an NCAA. Champion wrestler, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Covington, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's a NCAA Division One wrestler. I mean, size-wise, they're very similar. They're both 5'11", and Lawler has a two-inch reach advantage at 74 uh, inches. They're both southpaws, which is also interesting. Lawler's 4-3 and three against other southpaws, and Covington is 4-0 and oh against, uh, against guys who are left-handed. So Covington has a better success rate against guys with that stance. Covington has an overall better record. I think the pressure is going to be the difference maker here. 
Covington's style of pressure, I think, is going to be hard for Lawler to handle. Lawler's the type who waits for his opportunities to explode and to counter and to, yes. and to get you. Now, on the one hand, Covington's going to give him things to counter. On the other hand, he's not as explosive and not as aggressive as he once was. And, and I feel like the pressure game that Rafael Dos Santos was able to apply on Lawler, that can work by a bigger guy like Covington who can wrestle better like Covington. Now, he might not hit quite as hard as Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, but we saw we saw each of these guys. I don't think, I don't think Covington hits it anywhere near as hard as Rafael no. Dos Anjos. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Covington's got decent technique. He throws a decent overhand left, a uh, uh, left jab overhand left is kind of his go-to combo. Have um, you seen him hurt anybody with a punch standing up? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and and he, he times his opponent's offense. He gets his opponents to counter his jab or his left hand. And the moment you counter, he shoots right under your punches and gets you down. He's excellent at it. I think he's going to be able to do this to Lawler often enough. Now, I, I do see that you, like Lawler came in looking really good against Aspirin. Unfortunately, that fight ended in a weird way. But he, he looked really good early on in that bout. Does Lawler have a shot at knocking uh, Covington out? Yeah, he does. I'm not going to bet on it, though. I'm, I'm going to favor Covington's pressure to overwhelm Lawler. For this fight to look... More and more in Lawler's favor as the bout wears on. The first round's going to be close. In fact, maybe maybe Lawler will even win that one, and it's probably going to be the only round uh, that is that close and that he's going to win. Yeah. Um, I think Covington does his thing here, unfortunately. So, uh, in the co-main event, which could have been the co-main event 12 years ago, right. uh, we've got Clay the Carpenter Guida against uh, Whippany's finest, Jim Miller. Uh, what do you think is going to go down between these two Wiley vets? Yeah, it's an interesting matchup. They've got so many common opponents, these yeah. two guys, too. So on paper, like size-wise, they're pretty similar, right? 5'7", five, 5'8", seven, five, 71 to 70-inch reach. Everything's very close, slightly favoring Jim Miller. Their common opponents are Charles Oliveira, both losses. Anthony Pettis, uh, Clay Guida's got a win over Pettis years ago, and uh, Miller lost him. Both beat Lazan. They they both lost to Sanchez, Benson Henderson. I mean, there's both a beat there's a sleep. They both keep. I mean, yeah. At this point, it seems both like just beat about Matt anybody. Danzig, both lost to Green Maynard. Wow, they do have a lot of coverage. They 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 really do, and they've spent so much time in the UFC in this division that you that it, it makes so much sense. I really do think this first round is going to be Jim Miller's, and then I think Clay Guida's probably going to start to take over after that. Now, having said that, Jim Miller doesn't really lose to wrestlers for the most part, especially kind of wrestlers at this point in their career at that athleticism level. So I can absolutely see Jim Miller working his way to a decision here. But I feel like he hasn't won a decision in a little while. It seems like he either wins in the first round or the decision ends up drawing out and he loses. But then again, the guys that Jim Miller is losing to are some of the very best in the entire division. right? He's got Charles Oliveira, Dan Hooker, Francisco Trinaldo, Anthony Pettis, Dustin Poirier. These are his last... Five losses, Nick. Like, there's nothing to be ashamed yeah, of there. Murderers, right? And Clay Guida would lose to every one of these guys. So I have a lot of trepidation about giving the edge to Guida. I no, think except I'm, for Pettis, who he beat. <laughs> true, but that was ages ago. That was literally Pettis' USC debut, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm picking Guida, but I might be rooting for Miller, and I wouldn't be surprised if Miller takes it. I just feel like it really takes a super high-level fighter to beat Miller uh, for the past many, many years. Where's this fight take place? Where's the jersey? Oh, that's right. Miller's, 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 Miller's backyard. Jersey. Interesting. That's um, actually another factor. Good point. It is. Um, tough one. Tough one to call. I was thinking Guida just based on his activity, and he just seems a little more durable 
to me lately. But again, he, you know, he's. Uh, I mean, Guida's not not fighting the scrubs either by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, his losses are to uh, Ortega, um, Oliveira, Ortega, Oliveira. See, he got Thiago Tavares. Yeah, that was a quick fluke choke, though. He ran into a guillotine. Dennis um, Bermudez, he... Yeah, he won the first round of that fight. Um, he's, it's... Chad Mendez, Gray Maynard, these are athletic, powerful men. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a very, very tough one. It is, I, I was going to go with Guida. I'm going to go with Jim Miller, and I'm strictly doing this because I think, I'd have to go and check, but my instinct is that Miller really likes to win in New Jersey. That he's fought there. I do, he's I do fought, think he's got a good I think record. He's fought at home a bunch. His brother Dan Miller will be there. I'm certain. And uh, it's you know some people are are uh, hometown fighters. Um, so this is a re- I mean razor razor thin pick for me, but I think Jim Miller is going to do it. I just found another factor in your favor here. Uh, Guida's five and five against southpaws, and Miller's twenty two and four against orthodox fighters. And that's exactly what kind of matchup they're, they're each handling here. It's another thing in your favor. Yeah, yeah I could, Don't give me any freebies there, buddy. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not giving you any, any freebies. <laughs> I'm actually almost talking myself out of, the, out of the Guida pick. But still, I just feel like Guida will still be staying strong late in the fight. And I think you're probably right. And, and to your point, the crowd will probably propel Miller to have energy late, late in the fight. So it is an interesting matchup, and I think Jersey falls into it too. The stylistic matchup of the Southpaw versus Orthodox fighter and their history against... Uh, guys with those stances, I think, falls into it as well. So we've got our first differentiation on the pick, which is pretty exciting early on. We've got a pretty interesting matchup here between two prospects. We've got Joaquim Silva going up against Nazrat Haparast. Both guys are actually known for, for their striking. They've had pretty impressive UFC careers thus far, each of them having only one loss in the UFC in several bouts. Uh, Haparast is pretty seriously held prospect. His only losses to Marcin held. And outside of that, he's got wins over Mark Diakasi and Thibault Guti. Not necessarily the highest level opposition that he beat, and he did lose to a grappler here, but he's going up against Joachim Silva, who actually came out with a win over Jared Gordon in the third round. Knockout win in the third round in his last fight. Lost the decision to Vince Michel, which is really nothing to be ashamed of. Before that, got wins over Andrew Holbrook and Reza Madadi. So pretty solid names on, on, on his resume here, Nick. Who do you favor between yeah, these two? Yeah, I've got a I, I favor uh, Nazrat Hak Parast over Joaquin Silva. I just think I think he's got the momentum. I'm more I'm just more impressed with I'm more impressed with his body of work. Um, fight, 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 fight. He's got the reach. He's got a little bit of height. He's got the youth. Um, I think. Joaquim Silva is just kind of like prototypical fighter out of Brazil. I think uh, Nazarat, who I think fights out of Germany. He does. Um, is, I, like you said, I think he's a, I mean, Mar- Martin Held was no joke. He caught some bad luck in his UFC fights. He caught a bum decision. True. Um, but I thought he was very talented. I mean, no insult when I said I, think, I thought he was like the second coming of like Evan Dunham, but Evan Dunham kind of had a bit of a run. Uh-huh. He, he um, did have a run. I was a fan of his for a while. I think that I think that Nazareth's gonna uh, win this fight comfortably. Yeah, um, probably by decision. Yeah, so it is an interesting matchup. These really are two prospects. Nazareth's actually only twenty three years old, and uh, Joaquim Silva is thirty. So a bit of an age advantage, arguably, maybe an experience advantage for Silva, an age advantage for Hakarost. 
And Hakaras has got two inches of reach, three inches of reach over his opponent in this one. Nazwa is the southpaw. He's super, super fast, and I think that'll be one of the major factors here. Uh, he should have a decent speed advantage over Silva, who, in my opinion, should have probably the power advantage in this matchup, which, which, yeah, is, a little bit, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the predominantly, Silva likes to throw that kind of explosive cross-hook combo, but he generally stands in one place, whereas Nasrat, he, he uh, covers distance, lands his strikes, and then gets the heck out of there. He also likes to goad you into countering him so that he can counter your counter. He's got a couple levels to the striking game. I'm going to give the edge to Nasrat as well. I'm actually a fan of his, and a believer in him, ever since I uh, first watched him in the UFC, uh, even against Martin Held. I'm going to give him the, the edge here. I wouldn't be surprised if Silva comes, with the, comes out with a late knockout or if he's able to sneak away two rounds. Uh, but, but I'm in agreement with you here. I, I favor Nasrat for his speed, for his slight size advantage, and the fact that I think on the ground he should have the edge here. Next up, we've got, um, I love Kennedy and Jinjoku. Like, I think he's com it's completely wild uh, fighting style. Um, great athleticism. 6'5", 82-inch reach. He's just a beast. Left-hander. And he's, uh, he trains with Abdul um, Razak Al-Hassan. Um, who I like, and Jeff Neal, who I like, both of whom I like an awful lot. Um, yes, he lost his last fight, but it was basically due to inexperience. I think he's going to come in uh, with a lot more poise, and I, I, actually, I think he's. I think we're going to see a uh, a brutal finish of Darko Stosic. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Darko gets finished late in this fight. He's only six feet tall. Darko is. And He's got a five-inch reach disadvantage. Kennedy's going to walk in there with an eight-inch reach advantage. That is huge as a southpaw. He trains a Portis MMA, which really is a solid team. Darko favored, by the way, by uh, the oddsmakers. Darko's, yeah, that, that's uh, that. I mean, look, Darko's one on one in the UFC. He's got a pretty raucous first-round knockout, and then he had kind of a tough decision against Devin Clark, which Devin Clark is really at his best right now. He's been looking really good lately. Um, the thing is that Darko got exhausted in that uh, last fight against Devin, Devin Clark. He never went to the second round of his UFC debut, so he was able to look pretty good there. I question his cardio. Uh, I believe he trains with Krokop's team, so it's not exactly high level. I wonder if Krokop even trains anymore. I'm not even sure if, if he's still competing. Uh, whereas Kennedy and Zuchuku, uh trains at Fortis MMA, and they've got a bunch of assassins. they got some killers up there. With, yeah, with guys like Al-Hassan, Jeff Neal, Ryan Spann, a lot of big guys for him to train with. I'm going to give the edge to Kennedy, who's just going to be monstrous compared to Stosik and Heidi, even though Stosik looks really good getting off the bus. Oh, man, I was hoping we'd have a different... Uh... I wouldn't be surprised if Darko gets a knockout here if Kennedy comes in way too close, but I can also see Kennedy making big improvements in between fights. In his last uh, fight in his UFC debut, he was looking pretty good there he was. Uh, for a while. I mean, like, he had lots of, lots of moments where his technique and he, knowing what to do Positional awareness was garbage. Yeah, but he did defend takedowns very effectively. Yeah, once he, was not, once, he was, once he was down, though, he didn't know what to do. Yeah, true, true. But I don't uh, think that's going to happen in this fight. Yeah, I, I don't think that's likely either. I, I'm expecting this Eastern European guy with a 13-2 record to possibly be about as raw as Kennedy. Maybe raw is not the word. I just don't expect his conditioning to be there late, late in the fight. And, Unless he really doesn't have a lot of output, and it's hard to beat a much, much bigger man without a lot of output. And I mean, Paul Craig's, you know, Paul Craig's weapon is his jiu-jitsu. Yeah, true. 
Next up, Nick, we've got an interesting matchup between a guy that used to be considered a prospect and Mickey Gall as he goes up against uh, Salim Touri. Both guys are coming off of losses in this one. Gal coming off of one loss and Turi coming off of two in a row. Now, Turi's 29, Gal's 27. We always assume, I think, that Gal's a really young guy, but he is the bigger man in this matchup. He's got a four-inch height advantage at 6'2", a two-inch reach advantage. And he trains, uh, I believe, in New Jersey. Uh, I, I believe with the Jersey Fight Team, I checked out his Instagram. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why the Muscle Farm Academy is listed here. Who do you have in this matchup, Nick? Uh, I like Gall in this fight, even though he's the underdog. I think he's been there and done that under bright lights. He's taken a couple of beatings, but I think his, I still think his jits is really slick, and I think it'll be enough um, to take out a guy on a two-fight skid who hasn't really um, defeated anyone of note. No. Um, you know, I mean, Sage Northcutt and George Sullivan, CM Punk isn't like a sterling uh, record, but... I don't think that Salim is Randy Brown or Diego Sanchez either. Yeah, I mean, he did just get pounded out by Diego Sanchez. Not like decision, Nick. He just got pounded out by the guy, which, which concerns me. Well, uh, Mickey's path to victory is not something that's ever going to defeat Diego Sanchez. Well, I don't know about ever. Like, I think if he had the conditioning, he could have beaten Diego Sanchez. The thing is that he... Got exhausted midway through Maybe, the first round. No one's gonna. No one's gonna. It, listen, he's Diego, six two for God's sake. He's way bigger. Yeah, than if Diego Sanchez was gonna get subbed by a triangle, it would have happened by now. True, but, but he's also got a solid right hand. Diego got yeah, knocked yes, out. Yes, that's true. He doesn't. He hits much, really hard. He doesn't have much of a chin, but Diego just right, just bulldozed him. He did. Uh, he, he he really did. Especially once Gal got tired and it all went downhill. Randy Brown also roughed him up and also showed that he's the better, big, more strong guy. Big strong, strong guy. guy. Mickey Gall's very lean. It seems like it's the pressure game that works against him. And I watched Salim Therese's first two, two UFC bouts. And even though they were against really solid opposition of Worley Alves and Keita Nakamura, like yeah. these are two guys that will absolutely beat Mickey Gall 10 out of 10 times. I, would yeah. I mean, Mickey Gall's Ben Saunders without Ben Saunders more time. Yeah, which. <laughs> but he's got a decent triangle he's got, sometimes. He's got, he's, got, he's, got, he's got really good jujitsu. He, he has decent jujitsu yeah, from the top, and if he's off his back, you can do whatever you want, just about. Yeah. That's what we learned in that uh, Randy Brown fight, because he did take him down. He did take Randy Brown down in that second round and controlled the round and won the round, but Randy Brown, every time he was on top, Gal had no answers for him. So, look, I, I'm going to agree with you here. Salim Touri you is to, not no the guy. Pressure. Oh, no, I appreciate that. I'm not uh, saying Mickey Gall's a world beater. I just think he's a Salim beater. By no means <laughs> is he a world beater. The thing is that Salim Touri, you're right, he, he's... He doesn't really put his foot on the pedal. All that he really does is fake the jab, fake the jab, throw a left hook. And if he can't land that left hook on you, he's got almost nothing else. Almost nothing else in his repertoire. He's not aggressive. He stays on his yeah. back foot and circles on the outside. I also think the UFC knows something here. Like, Mickey Gall still has um, a level of awareness. And I think this is a pick-me-up pick fight. I think they gave him a winnable fight after he got trounced. Um, I can't imagine they still believe in the guy. Like, yeah, he gives a good interview. He's charming. His highlight yeah. reel's not bad. Yeah. Uh, he took out, you know, he took out two um, much reviled fighters. I guess he, he's a, he's a I don't know what too much reviled. Uh, talking about CM Punk, and Sage Northcutt. Yeah, Sage Northcutt was a pretty good win, and that's his only quality win. That's the only thing resembling a quality win in the men's career. George, George Sullivan is a pretty mediocre fighter, even though it's a still decent win in the first round there. 
Uh, but yeah, like the only two decent guys that he fought, well, I should say two of the three, he got he got trounced by essentially Diego are, Sanchez. I think, yeah, yeah, I just think both of those guys are considerably better. I I, I don't Salim disagree with you. That that they're better than his opponent here, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Salim lands a big left hook and, and, and ends the night. Uh, having said that, I'm, I'm giving it to Gallo. I'm hoping his cardio is actually on point yeah. this time because that was really, really disappointing. Uh, what, do you got, what do you got next? Uh, Antonina Shevchenko going up against Lucy Pudilova. Shevchenko being the younger sister uh, of of the uh, flyweight champion, is it? In the yeah, women's division. Trying to bounce back from her first career defeat against Roxanne Mataferi. That's right. She's going up against uh, a really exciting striker, another Muay Thai artist, and Lucy Pudilova, who just came off of losses to Liz Carmouche and Irina Aldana. Now, the Aldana fight could have gone either way. It was a split decision. Liz Carmouche is fighting for the title next, so it's not much to be ashamed of. Who do you favor in this one, Nick? Uh, I favor Shevchenko. I think um, she's going to be really excited to throw um, after dealing with uh, Roxy's pressure and uh, take to, and, and grappling technique. Um, so, I th- again, I think this is an instance of Shevchenko getting a, uh, a fight that on paper looks, uh, I think, is competitive but is very winnable for her. Um, as kind of a, a get-right moment because I think the UFC sees a potential star in her. Um, I, don't, I don't think that... I mean, yes, she could lose this fight. I just think that um, uh, I'd, be very, I'd be very surprised. I definitely wouldn't be very surprised because I think in a lot of ways they match up very, very evenly, uh, except that I, I'd probably say Shevchenko's technique in Muay Thai is better, whereas yeah. Kudilova is more aggressive. She's going to keep pushing and keep throwing offense out there um, and look, let's face it, it was a pressure game, a wrestling pressure game, but a pressure game nonetheless that uh, gave Shevchenko her first loss against Roxanne Matafari. And Lucy Pudilova is going to throw enough where it's going to count as pressure. Now, like they, they're very similarly sized. Pudilova's nine years younger than wow. Shevchenko, who, who's looked at as a prospect. She's actually the older Shevchenko sister. It probably doesn't have a whole lot of window to her career, especially if she can't uh, shore up that ground game. Now, Shevchenko's a southpaw here, which I think may play a factor. Um, I'm going to give Shevchenko the, cha- uh, the the edge here because I think, to your point, she'll be glad to be standing. She'll be glad not to having to be defending takedowns. Um, having said that, I give her the edge basically by split decision. I think Azaz is going to be a very close back and forth fight. And uh, I can also see Shevchenko possibly going for takedowns, given that Pudilova is not a fan of them and Shevchenko is willing to go for them. Uh, also, Shevchenko's last opponent in her UFC debut, uh, her stats, her, her size and everything like that, her style, very similar to Lucy Pudilova. So I'm, I'm giving the edge to Shevchenko. I'm in agreement with you here. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Gerald Merchout versus Trevin Giles. I'm going to give the edge to Giles' power here. He's got an excellent counter game. Mirchart's overall a good guy, but overall a decent fighter, but he doesn't have a whole lot of explosiveness or power. No. And and he doesn't really have awesome takedowns. I'm expecting Giles to be able to catch him here because Mirchart does not take shots well. Um, I go. I agree with that pick. I'm still mad at Mirchart for that Kevin Holland fight. That was absolutely um, terrible. I'm still mad at Kevin Holland for the Kevin Holland fights. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> This, what, are the ads, what are the ads makers saying about these cats? Um, Trevor Giles. Giles. A, yeah, I, I agree with you. Let's go Let's go with Giles. Um, what do you have next on the card? Because we, everything's got this. Got the card in different order. Scott Holtzman versus Dong Young Ma. Ah, Holtzman. Both pretty damn experienced in the UFC. Holtzman having taken his loss, and you called it in his last bout to Nick Lentz. Dong Young Ma uh, coming into this, uh, I think also having recently experienced some troubles, uh, lost to Devontae Smith, who's a great A prospect. 
and has a, a few wins actually in a row in the UFC before that. Who do you favor here, Nick? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Holtzman here to, to get right after Lens. I am too. I think he's going to have a big athletic advantage, uh, and I, I don't think that Dong Young Ma is going to get anywhere close to taking him down. Dong Young Ma is not really aggressive, and so like there's really not much that he brings to the table if you've got some athleticism yeah. and, and if you can if you can stop his offense. Claudio Silva versus Cole Williams. Nick, what are your thoughts? Uh, Claudio Silva is going to freight train, destroy Cole Williams. Yeah, I think Cole Williams is coming down from middleweight here, so there's a chance he could be the bigger guy. And Claudio Williams, uh, Claudio Silva's got some. Pretty big names. Danny Roberts, Nordine Talon, Leon Edwards, Brad Scott was once no, a prospect. But like these are some great names. He's, he, made a, he's made a steal and feels no pain. Yeah, he should be able to get a submission over the 11-1 and one, uh, Cole Miller here. But number four in the mid, uh, middleweights in Iowa. True. Uh, uh, we, we do have to discuss Hannah Goldie versus Miranda Ranger. Yeah, yeah Hannah Goldie has a, had her first career win against... Um, Jillian Roberts. Yeah, Jillian Roberts, the Canadian uh, fighter that just won uh, decisively um, last weekend. Uh, two, well, yeah, yeah, just on his past card. Um, and Hannah Goldie is—I think it's her UFC debut. No, she was, on, she was on the Contender Series, right? Uh, where she picked to go in, and she's fighting um, uh, Miranda Granger, who is in her UFC debut. And the odds makers in this one are going with Goldie, and I think I think they're right. I think uh, listen, I see a fighter that that. Um, that has that has that win. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick her. I think. Although according to typology, it's the number one woman fight woman uh, in Florida against the number one woman in the Pacific Northwest. I can appreciate that. Uh, Florida's at, very at, specific. At yeah, I, I assume that this will easily go either way. I think a lot of these women's fights where both girls are debuting and the odds are skewed one way or the other, it's it's never that simple is what yeah. we've seen. Well, the odds are close, fairly close here. Um, I'm going to give the edge to Hannah Golding just mostly on the strength of her victory against Jillian Robertson. Granted, that was back in 2016. Also, she looks like she's rock solid. She looks like she's yeah. all muscle, which is fairly rare uh, for female fighters. And as much as her opponent, Miranda Granger, looks lean, and she's got some quality wins. She's finishing checks on the ground, Nick, left and right, arm bars, rear naked chokes. It looks like ground and pound finishes. She's a finisher, this chick. So this could be a very, very interesting uh, interesting fight. If I'm looking at Hannah Golding's record, she's got a bunch of decisions in a row. So, so we've got a finisher in a Miranda Granger, which is fairly rare in the women's divisions in general. So this should be an interesting bout. Who do you favor, Nick, between Matt Schnell and Jordan Espinosa? Uh, this is a difficult call. Jordan Spinoza, uh, karate black belt, I believe a jiu-jitsu purple belt. Um, and he's got a win over Lewis Smolka, which is not nothing. And he's coming up against uh, a guy in Espinoza who's had a contender series win, a UFC decision win. My feeling right now, based on the collection of scalps, and I know that uh, MMA math is dangerous, and Chanel does have a loss to Rob Font, but wins over Inoue, Marco Beltran, and, and uh, just a few months ago, Smolka by triangle choke has me favoring uh, Schnell in this fight. The, the odds makers have it about at Pickham. Yeah, I think that's fair. It should be a Pickham fight. Jordan Espinosa's looked pretty slick. Like he's a guy that kind of circles on the outside and explodes with offense anytime you come in or you give him the opportunity to close that distance against you. He's looked pretty darn solid and picked up a, an impressive scalp on his UFC debut over Eric Shelton after an exciting kind of back-and-forth fight with Riley Dutro on the Contender Series. 
going, to, going up against Matt Schnell, who in his last bout impressed the holy hell out of me in that Louis Smoker fight. Yeah. He looked perfect. Perfect technique on the feet. He took the guy down, allowed him to roll over right into a guillotine, worked his way into a triangle choke from there, and finished. Like It, it was just step-by-step, step, did everything he wanted against a much bigger Louis Smoker, and that was at 135, man. He's now coming back down to 125. Uh, to go up against Jordan Espinosa. I'm going to give Matt Schnell the edge. I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Espinosa's power becomes a factor here because if I remember correctly, Schnell did get TKO twice in his UFC career thus far, so his chin can't get tagged despite the, maybe the technique advantage he may have. I do think Jordan Espinosa probably will have the explosiveness advantage. So a close one on paper. Uh, Are you I'm, picking Schnell? I'm, I'm picking Schnell, It's yeah. funny, despite us both, uh, we only have one different pick so far. Do despite we really? us both picking lots of underdogs. Kennedy, Chukwu is an underdog. Mickey Gall is an underdog. Okay. Lee picked Guida. Guida's an underdog. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's it. There's one more, one more fight on the card here, right? We've got Mara Romero Barella versus Lauren Murphy, Nick. Yeah. Lauren Murphy actually looked pretty decent on the Ultimate Fighter, and she picked up a win over Barb Hancock. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, Hancock, excuse me. And then she lost to Sajara Eubanks, which is really nothing to be ashamed of in that. Weight class. Going up against here, somebody that's a little bit more tested in the UFC and had more time to perform there, Mara Romero Barello, who at this point in the UFC is 2-1 with wins over Kalinda Faria and Talia Santos and the obligatory close decision loss to Caitlin Chukagian. Who do you favor in this one? You know what? I'm not going to decide that until I look up how judges around the world scored that Chukagian fight. <laughs> I'm going to favor Mara Romero Barella. She um, can beat both of them by decision. I do think Lauren Murphy's actually got some pretty good overall skill. I think she's going to be a slower fighter here. And I do think that even though they both have takedown ability, I like Mara Romero's performance in the last bout where she was taken down early, reverse position, got on top, worked, and never let her opponent get back into the fight. Yeah. So I'm, I'm giving the edge to Barilla. I'm also giving the edge to Barilla because while you were saying that, my data shows me that no judges gave uh, Murphy her decision lost against uh, Chukagian, whereas several judges gave the win to Barella against Chukagian. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, not the majority, but enough. Yeah, Chukagian getting a, a clear-cut victory is extremely rare, so good on her, I guess. She, she got one over Lauren Murphy back in the day. Uh, so we are done with picks on this card, Nick. We're going to talk about our betting success. Last week, I had another good week. We're back on the winning track. talk about your betting success, not mine. Fair enough. But I will. I'm going to step into it. For my betting trials are over. We're talking real money now. I'm going to. I'm going to place some. I'm going to place some uh, wagers uh, today. I like so it. So let's start. Let's reset me at zero, and we'll, I'm playing with with real. I'm in. I'm in, Nick. I, I like real it. Real coinage. First of all, you did have. Uh, I think you had a parlay. Well, I, I said if it? someone put a gun in my head, I would have done the parlay. It was really just to you know fill up the segment. But fair enough. <laughs> you should really give people a heads up before they place their money. I did. I said that. Yeah, it was, fair enough. I said if I really had to do well, it. Well, to fill the second part. But yeah, um, <laughs> but, but yeah I had to. For, for our advertisers, they, need, they have required amount of time we need to talk. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, by the way, sponsorships. Feel free. Brought to you by Nabisco. So we, we, are you giving Nabisco a free plug and we're not even getting a cookie out of this, Nick? Come How do you on. know I'm not getting cookies out of this? Are you getting cookies out of this and I'm not getting a piece? You're training, man. You don't need to go. This is bullshit, man. This is bullshit. So last week, I recommended a bunch of $10 bets on a bunch of underdogs who I thought should have had a shot and were worth putting a little bit of money on. I recommended 10 bucks on Edgar, on Spencer, on Nico Price by finish, on OAM by decision, Alexis Davis, 
Yoshihiro, Hori, and all of them lost. Now, bad news is that uh, all of these bets lost. The good news is that it was only 10 bucks a piece, so it ended up being 60 bucks lost. And then I recommended a parlay on Armand Tatsurian and uh, Jillian Robertson. Armand at minus 200 and Jillian Robertson at minus 115 gave you odds of plus 180 combined, which is awesome. 50 bucks on that netted you $90.22 in profit. And then I recommended a straight bet on Gavin Tucker at minus 115. 40 bucks earned you 34.78 in profit. Total of $60 profit on this event, which I will take. Now I've got winnings in six of the last seven events, which I'm pretty happy with. And we're going to keep on rolling and, and set it up for this week, Nick. What do you got for the bets, Nick? For this week, I'll do a straight bet of $10 on Nazareth Pakparast. I will also do a straight bet of $10 on Kennedy. <laughs> I can never do this one. And the Chukwu, I think. And the Chukwu. That's pretty and, close. And uh, you know what? I'll, I'll do a little parlay. I'm going to parlay Max Schnell and Hannah Goldie. All right. I like it. I'm going to parlay Colby Covington and Nazrat Hakparast. I'm also going to recommend a parlay on Colby Covington and Scott Holtzman. And combined, those two should give you pretty close to even numbers, and I would probably put 40 bucks on each of those bets. I think it's disgusting that you're going to try to win money off Colby Covington. I'm just saying, you have no ethics. At least he will bring something positive into my life, Nick. I guess so. Betting on Covington is like giving money to Trump. You heard it here. That's not true. I, 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 wouldn't, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily buy the red hat, but betting on Covington well, is actually... Well, the money you're going to win, you can buy two or three red hats. Betting on Covington is actually... Uh, it brings no benefit to him. And if he wins, then I get, I get to win something out of it. So really, I'm just benefiting from evil is what's happening. I might that as well... Sounds good. Yeah, you're a capitalist. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Uh, didn't, didn't peg you as a socialist, Nick. Uh, and we, <laughs> we've, also got, we've also got Clay Guida at plus 155. I think he's worth a bet here. I think that Jim Miller is going to tire out in the second and third rounds, even though it is in New Jersey. He may get a boost from the audience. No getting tired in New Jersey. I, uh, I hope for his sake not. But as he gets tired, they'll play the Jovi. I'm, 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 recommend, <laughs> I'm recommending a straight bet on Clay Guida. Uh, I would put 40 bucks down. He's on a cowboy. Him. On a steel horse, he rides. At, at, at plus money, Nick. Um, and, and, uh, as he's far won as, at sand. Dead or alive. God damn it, Nick. Um, as, as, as far as my as far as my value bets, I'm not really seeing a whole lot of value on, on a lot of the underdogs, but I do recommend at plus 205 a bet on Joachim Silva. Now, I know what you're thinking. I, I already included Hawk Perost in one of my parlays, but Silva's legit, and he's got serious power. So um, I would put 20 bucks on him, and if Hawk Perost ends up losing his bout, that would offset that loss. I'm going to keep my bets where they are. And Nick, I'm going to keep on motherfucking winning. We've got a... Uh, Valentina Shevchenko defending uh, her title against um, one of only two women to ever defeat her. And I believe the only woman to ever finish her. Liz Carmouche. Um, and then we've got Mike Perry, Vincente Lucan on that card. True story. The only fighter to ever finish Valentina Shevchenko. Now, Valentina since then has only lost two very close fights to Amanda Nunes and is an absolute killer. Um, she's had a much, a much stronger career um, and shown a better, uh, better fight IQ, better footwork. But once someone's finished you, you never know. Carmouche has her number. I, do, I really enjoy Liz Carmouche as a fighter. She's a great fighter. I think Liz um, has a chance actually getting takedowns. I think if there's an area where Valentina's shown a little bit of weakness, is that it's possible to take her down. So Liz, yeah, Liz, has to be careful. She doesn't break your arm. Ask, ask Julianna Pena about 
Yeah, I, I I don't know if I would expect Liz Cambridge to make that kind of mistake, but she, she's been on board before, right? It's yeah. certainly possible. Um, also, unfortunately, Vulcan Ozdemir, Vulcan Ozdemir versus Alir Latifi got pulled off this card too, Did which it? sucks. Oh, I, yeah, no. yeah, I, I remember reading that oh, earlier. Boo. Really, next week's card is not super awesome, but we're still inviting you guys to come by and, and, and hear us talk about Tisha Torres versus Marina Rodriguez is, is kind of a decent fight. I will say, though, folks, please subscribe. Tell your friends about us. We're trying to spread the word, and I feel like we're not going to ask you for some Patreon money, but we will ask you to spread the word and let people know if you're enjoying the show. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Yeah, and just know two shows away in just a few weeks, August 17th, um, so we'll have our show out early that week. Cormier versus Miocic 2. Anthony Pettis against Nate Diaz and Yoel Romero against Paulo Costa. So as a UFC fan who's been watching a lot of prospects, a lot of fighters whose names are difficult to pronounce and remember, um, you know, seeing some great talent, but not necessarily some uh, stars of the sport, those last three fights in UFC 241 are going to... Uh, Nick, that is a sick card overall. Besides those three fights that you just mentioned, Zidik Youssef is on the card. Ian Hinesic is getting another middleweight. Uh, Corey Sander and Hakkarilla That's another great. Devontae Smith versus John McDessie. Uh, there are some solid, solid fights My on girl had a sippers. You're, you're a fan of her, I know. Casey uh, Kenny, who uh, made a successful UFC debut in the Springboard is fighting. Danny Rodriguez. Yeah, solid, solid overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah.